This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Gabon is one of the stable regimes in the African continent. It has a vision of progress based on being both business and environment friendly. Liban Solman is the president's chief of staff of the government of Gabon. In this interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Solman says there is enormous opportunity for investors in Gabon and Africa. Uh, Liban, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I'd love to start by uh, chatting a little bit about the uh, banking situation in Gabon. Uh, I've heard that in Africa, only 20% of the families uh, reportedly have bank accounts. What's the situation like in Gabon? Um, particularly for Gabon, the situation is exactly as you stated. Um, the banking system is actually regulated within a regional uh, regulatory framework that's linked with what we call CNC and Quebec, which is the banking commission that has very rigid uh, regulation, which is actually why some countries in Africa survived the economic recession. Um, also, since we have a very uh, huge challenge with what they call numerization planning, meaning that you have regist registration of people that is not adequately done. Therefore, the link between databases of you know the people and families and the banking system is not directly correlated. Um, speaking of mobile, you asked me a question about mobile banking in Gabon. Uh, mobile banking is actually not quite developed in Gabon because of uh, the regulatory framework and the fact that telecom operators have not been granted a 3G license. But the government is actually preparing in a strategy to utilize this to actually bring services closer to the people. And mobile banking is one option, even though it has its challenges. In fact, let's, let's uh, explore that in some... Uh uh, in, in, in a little more detail, if it's okay with you, because I know that in uh, places like Kenya, mo mobile banking has taken off in quite a big way. Uh, they have services like M-Pesa, which uh, Safaricom has developed, and M-Kesho by Zane. Uh, uh, when do you think uh, mobile banking will be uh, ready for prime time in Gabon? Um, first of all, uh, Kenya is one example of mobile bank in Africa, but an example that is also very strong that nobody mentioned is a Somalian example. If you, look, uh, if you look at Somalia, there's absolutely no governments. 100% of the banking is done through mobile banking. So you have a whole economy that is structured on basically people sending money from overseas and delivering it via the uh, cell phone. There's a lot of uh, problems with mobile banking uh, because, first and foremost, um, Kenya had a competitive advantage. It had a high penetration in a wireless um, you know, technology, basically mobile phone. Um, if you look at Gabon, not everybody is uh, well, uh, you know, uh, masters well how to make, outside of making a simple dialing, uh, they haven't mastered, you know, the, everything that goes with value-added services with telephones. So what we're thinking is within the next two years, there will be an explosion. Gabon is actually a pilot model because we have a very small population. And uh, we're looking for solutions. That's why we're exploring mobile banking, because you have a, a country the size of uh, Colorado, twice actually almost the size of Colorado, with 1.6 million people living there that are highly... Uh, uh, dispatched and then uh, sometimes even the problem is can you bring wireless, is it justifiable or economically viable to bring wire, uh, wireless technology or cell phone technology to a village with 1,000 people for a uh, company like Zane who's actually present in Gabon now owned by Baharti. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the overall economic strategy for development. 
that President Bongo has put together for uh, Gabon and, and, and your role. Uh, can you comment about how new innovative services like mobile banking might fit into the overall strategy? Yes, absolutely. Um, His Excellency President Ali Bongo Nimba was um, uh, pr uh, you know, preached sermon actually as president of Gabon in uh, 2009, October 16 to be precise. So we just celebrated the second birthday. And uh, the difference of other elections that happened in the sub-region and other candidates that were coming to the elections in Gabon, he got elected upon a program that he presented to the people that's called uh, Avenir en Confiance in French, which means uh, see the future with trust, with hope, basically. And in this program, he clearly uh, metaphorically described how Gabon's economic, social, and economic strategy would be, as well as cultural and all the components that go with it. And the metaphor is a house, actually, where you have uh, the foundation, which is based on uh, competitivity, making the environment competitive, business environments, human capital, and infrastructure. And then on these four foundations, you have three pillars, which is now the Gabon strategy, because the foundation is similar, every country needs that, is what we call the three pillars of Gabon, the Gabon of services, uh, the industrial Gabon, and then the third pillar is green Gabon, which is basically based on the fact that Gabon is part of the Congo Basin, which is the second largest contiguous force in the world, and the most biodiverse one. And the uh, concept of, uh, of this is that once you these three pillars are reached, well, actually, these three pillars are there, but they need to be optimized, you have what you call the sharing pillar, which is what's generated from that goes into social uh, social development, meaning uh, investing in better uh, health care, education system, and housing, which link back to the foundation of human capital. Um, this is the general strategy of the pre President Ali Bongo. Now, when you go into the details of the pillars, where the mobile banking goes into uh, is the Gabon of services. And um, the government of Gabon has actually realized that you need to cut down on the government uh, uh, staffing, which is about exaggerated in Africa because it's one way of creating employment. And the only way to do so is to develop a service industry in Gabon, where even government services to citizens is delivered via a mechanism that's more private uh, mechanism, via mobile banking, or another version of mobile banking, which is called kiosk banking, which is telecom connected, but there's still the human relationship. And um, this is uh, what uh, the general strategy of it is in Gabon. The objective is, when you talk about emerging Gabon, to reach double-digit growth by 2020. And the way to do that is to optimize the Gabon of services with all the service line, financial institutions, banking, telecommunications, and tourism development as well, because of uh, the fact that Gabon has a lot of natural assets that it can uh, market to the world. You have industrial Gabon, which is basically based on the fact that Gabon has natural resources that it doesn't transform locally. It's purely exported. You have manganese, oil, timber, and uh, so many different mines, actually. Um, only 5% of Gabon's cadastre has been uh, explored. And then you have what you call Gabon Vert, which is the environmental component on how we're going to develop ourselves in a service industry, as well as an industrial in industry, while still maintaining our green components. So it transcends throughout everything. And it's these three pillars that basically describe the strategy of the president of Gabon. What is the vision 2025? It's actually reaching uh, emerging emerging country status uh, by 2020. Uh, 2025, actually, but 2020 we will consider to be done, depending on what the criteria of judgment are. Right. What role do you think South-South uh, 
cooperation will play in the, not just Gabon but all over Africa? I think that the real future of the world is uh, for, uh, based on the new concepts of partnerships, uh, the complexity of public-private or country-to-country -country partnership. Um, Gabon, we have a very positive experience that happened in the last two years with our aggressive foreign direct investment strategy. Um, that when you have a government-to-government -government or government-to-government uh, relationship, it's based on m most economic interests beyond political interests. And we strongly believe in the cabinet of the president, Ali Bongo, that South-South partnership is the future because you have uh, a decomplexified relationship where there's no uh, teacher and uh, students. It's a peer-to-peer -peer relationship where nobody's schooling nobody because the circumstances are different. And so give me an example of su uh, su such partnerships and how they might differ from, say, other kinds of partnerships. You look at, for example, what we did um, in Gabon. We have a very strong partnership with Singapore where uh, our president met with uh, the prime minister and the president of Singapore, uh, Sir Nathan. And, um, the whole concept was to create a uh, transfer of know-how on how to make a business environment that will attract foreign direct investment using a particular case, which was a company called Olam, which we linked in a strategic partnership with. So there was government-to-government -government bilateral relationships that then got down to a lower level between the government of Gabon and Olam International on a strategic partnership that created that competitive factor where we looked, we looked for an economically viable model that uh, would work, which is concluded in two huge contracts, a total of $5.2 billion of foreign direct investment, which is more than what Gabon has received in foreign direct investment outside of the oil sector in the last 42 years. And actually, we've beaten the record in sub-Saharan Africa due to that strategy of South-South partnership. And the whole concept is beyond the fact that it's just South-South is that you look at where growth is and uh, emerging countries that have emerged now that are looking for ways to use their economies of scale and synergies to actually deploy in uh, uh, new grounds like Africa, which are somewhat virgin, is the fact that you have what you call the BRICS, you know, uh, uh, the S at the end is for South Africa, even though I have a little complaint about that. Um, <laughs> you have Brazil, Russia. Um, you have uh, India, you have China, then you have South Africa, which kind of is supposed to be the ambassador of all of Africa, because Africa is going to emerge as a whole, not only South Africa. And uh, you look at it, that's where capital is, that's where uh, competitiveness is, that's where uh, uh, the dynamic component is. So there will be a lot more South-South partnership. There was another South-South partnership that exists if you consider China to be part of the Southern Hemisphere, but those models, business models, were different. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, China's strategy in Africa and perhaps in Gabon. And uh, uh, can you tell me from your perspective what's the strategy? And well, China's model differed from Western countries' models um, in this. From my perspective, I'm not an expert at this. In the sense that uh, they developed competitive infrastructure, so basically for a good cost for the governments, with uh, uh, government guaranteed based loans that were based on the, uh, from 0 to 2.5% interest rates over a very long period with long grace periods. So it was an alternative for governments to meet their mission of developing infrastructure, building infrastructure, and so on. But the difference is that there's no economic model behind it. So sometimes governments will build a road or build a, tr a railway or a, that is not awaken assets that will generate growth and therefore wealth that will actually raise economies. So that modeling was not there. Whereas when you look at foreign direct investment and public-private partnerships, 
private uh, investors will go where there is economic viability and where there will be something that will be generated. They're looking for sustainability and competitive advantages. So you know that what you will do is based on you know, risk-averse decision-making. Uh, you also were involved in uh, uh, developing a partnership with the Indian company Tata. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how does India's approach differ from China's? India's approach is actually uh, based on strong uh, uh, international companies that are based in India, that reach their uh, maturity in uh, India and that are now exploring the world. You look at a company like Tata with all the complexity that it has, it's not only an Indian company, it's a global player, but based on Indian uh, resources. and. Um, the, what happened in Gabon is that we had an integrated model. Uh, we looked at it from the point of fact that Olam is developing palm. Uh, why did we choose to do palm in Gabon is because we know that the fact that we're on the equator makes it that we have a competitive advantage, even though we don't have hu the human resource components. Um, you have rainy, the rainy season mechanism in Gabon has it that you can have six crops of palm oil, which makes 25 tons per hectare compared to 16 or 17 in neighboring Cameroon and a 19 at maximum uh, potential in, in uh, Southeast Asia, where they're, they're known to be very competitive for that. But in order to develop an agricultural sector, you need to have fertilizer components. And uh, urea plant in Portia is actually linked to the Olam project, which would make it gain economies of scale and then export to the sub-region, because we know that agriculture is the, big, the next big step for Africa, where different countries have different models. We chose a public-private partnership with Olam. Other countries have concessions on land, and people come and do what they, um, what they need to do or what they want to do what the regulatory framework allows them to do in Africa. So that's why the partnership with, with Olam and Tata was a successful one because now it's the, each of these projects is irreversible because we as the government delivered, um, we created a special economic zone with uh, what they call a, in French guichet unique, one booth administration where people come to one booth because the main problem in Africa was the administration, very slow administration, uh, non too educated people, people that are not too open-minded because they have the colonial approach on administration. So uh, uh, making the business environment so uh, friendly, business friendly, makes it that people feel comfortable to take the challenges that they need. Um, you look at that, you look at also the gas structuring. We had to restructure our whole gas regulation so that uh, torching was not allowed, linked to Green Gabon Pillar. And the fact that there was no torching makes it that the gas, that the, the fines that the oil companies were getting were actually making, forcing them to actually invest in bringing the gas to land, which would be used for this urea plant, which would then uh, you know, uh, satisfy the the uh, agricultural uh, projects in Gabon, and then for the sub-region. So that's why we really like that model, and I think that this is something that will be developed over Africa. I know that Olam is now being very aggressive on the African uh, market, using this experience in Gabon to do it, where we launched some of the projects. Interesting. Now, uh, uh, what are some of the principal misconceptions you think international investors have about uh, uh, investing in Africa, and, and what would you be your response to them? Well, first and foremost, it's a complex question because it has a complex answer to it. People look at Africa as one place. One monolithic. Uh, one, yeah, well, it's monolithic approach. But the reality is that Africa is as complex as the world. There's the world in Africa. Um, you have more than 50 countries. You have, uh, just in Gabon, we have uh, 57 ethnic groups. We have uh, 56, language, uh, 56 uh, dialects, languages. That means the people are only connected by the language that was brought by our, the colonial times with the French. Um, you have majority sp countries speaking English. That's more Eastern Africa. 
Eastern Africa, and then Western Africa is more francophone. Um, you have different regions, different currencies, different cultures, different uh, education system. Like in Gabon, most of the people are educated in France. You go to uh, uh, Kenya, East uh, Africa, people are educated in the United Kingdom. So people have different approaches. So everywhere you go, you have to uh, go with a specific approach. You have to do your homework and research. The second thing is business environment in Africa can be easy just as it can be complex. I have a simple way of looking at it. When an investor comes, I say Africa is a continent where if you want to do complex things, they're simple to do because of the ambitions, of, because of the ambition of the African Africans. But if you want to do simple things, they become complex to do. So you have to kind of gauge your approach. Um, if I were to give advice, I would say that when you come to a country, first of all, identify who the key decision maker is. There's the law of disintermediation. Don't go and talk to some random person that's going to take you to a random person because you're actually facilitating the environment for corruption and not to fight against transparency. You should go to the decision maker in an official manner. Use your embassy, use uh, real institutions uh, to approach so that later on you're alleviated from all the weight of uh, brokers and intermediaries. And secondly, when you go to decision makers, don't school don't tell them, give them a lesson on how things are done in the Western world, because they're developing their own model. They've seen where Western world failed, where it succeeded. And Africans now have that drive to do things. So what you need to do is you need to come and tell them, listen. First, you listen. What do you need? And then if you have a solution or a business proposition to make, then you make that business proposition. You try to adapt it to the situation there. You don't try to force your model and think that you know because uh, actually what is, what is known in Africa is that nothing is known, you know, the uncertainty is prosperous. So what do you think are the principal opportunities for international investors who may be interested in investing in Gabon and other parts of Africa? Well, there's a lot of investment possible uh, in Africa. And uh, if you come with a right approach and you go into sectors that are not already masters, like if you come to Gabon and you talk about uh, immediately oil or mining, the government of Gabon is very protective of that because they're going into a transition where they're trying to optimize transformation in country and to optimize the revenues they gain from the natural resources of the country. But if you come into the, the, to meet what the model of the country is and you look for economic diversification, which is what countries are looking for, and you propose to them uh, business projects that don't exist in the country but are needed in the country, then you will see that administration will build around you to assist you and nurture you into developing that project just like the Olam example and the Tata example. Um, then you look at it um, also from the business opportunities, I would say there's a lot of opportunities if you're looking into small and medium businesses. It's booming and growing. Um, if you come, you want to open a business in the United States, okay, what's your maximum return on investment? But if you come to a country where there's no uh, barriers to entry and you develop your business, you will see that you will prosper way faster. You might not have the easy financial schemes that you have in the U.S. where as soon as you have a little bit of cash flow, you can go finance and double finance, triple finance. But there's a lot of opportunities, small and medium businesses in Africa. There's in uh, all the sectors that are non-traditional, there's a lot of opportunities. Agriculture, there's a lot of opportunities, tourism, service industries, um, telecommunication and telecommunication-based services. There's a lot of opportunities. Um, there's a lot of opportunities in industrial processing. A lot of people don't understand that you can use if you were to gain competitivity in Africa and you were to export a product to the United States, you would benefit from the AGOA, the Africa Growth uh, uh, Act, which uh, makes it that you're literally custom-free to bring a product to the U.S. So what are the, what's the rate of customs on that product? How much would it cost you to import it from China? And what would it take for you to reach that same price 
in Africa to export to the United States, but at the same time benefit from that discount on entry into the market. And the same thing in between Africa, you have the same type of uh, 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 agreement, bilateral agreement with the European Union. So you have two markets that are open for you. And then if you look at geostrategic positioning, where is the African continent positioned? Right at the center of the... <laughs> That's very interesting. Now, you, you described a lot of opportunities. What are some of the principal risks that international investors should be aware of and uh, what, what is being done to address those risks? Well, I know that there's a lot of countries. Uh, I'll take a few examples. Uh, Rwanda, Ghana, Gabon, uh, Morocco, uh, and there's many more countries that, are, that have stable political regimes. First of all, you, I would suggest not to, uh, you look for stability in, in the, the regime of the country where you're going into. The second thing is you look into, understand if the, the executive, the ones that hold the executive uh, component of the power structure in the country have the capacity to make decisions and how fast they can make decisions. Because at the same time, since Africa is uh, a new market, governments are very receptive to innovation. So if you bring in a project or a business opportunity that meets the criteria that we have described before, you will have actually a, a government that will help you. The risks lie in the fact that you come, you don't deal with the right person, the right decision maker, you have a lot of intermediaries, and then you end up uh, being lost somewhere and they're frustrated. So a lot of people criticize Africa, but they've never met really Africa. They dealt through a whole army of intermediaries. Uh, let's uh, end with a few personal questions. So you grew up in Gabon as well as Virginia. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, I'm actually uh, from uh, Somali descent. I was born in Gabon from American parents. I was raised in between Gabon and the United States in Virginia, where I attended part of my elementary school in the U.S., part in the French system in Gabon and back and forth. I came back to the United States fully for university, where I graduated from George Mason University. Um, I had two uh, bachelors uh, in finance and marketing, and then I had a very weird um, career path, which actually made, made me open to the world. While I was um, in university, I was in audiovisual and music production and business side of it. Then I moved over to private equity and technology-based solutions, and uh, out in Israel, where I worked for a private equity and technology firm called Falcon Eye. Um, from Israel, then I de started developing opportunities for that company in Africa where I actually covered the continent. And uh, I decided to base myself on Gabon, which is a home country, as, uh, so I can have the access to the hub, to the African hub. And from there, I started working with the Minister of Defense, who at the time, who is now current president, who is an incredible person, on uh, environmental, uh, transforming the Defense Department into environmental protection with a business component based on the red uh, mechanisms and post and Kyoto Protocol. And at that time, we had a historic uh, moment where um, the president of Gabon, uh, His Excellency Omar Bongo Ndimba, passed away in power. And Gabon demonstrated stability to strong institutional, uh, strong institutions. And uh, there was an election organized. There were primaries within the ruling party. Uh, Ali Bongo made it out of 12 candidates. And uh, we worked on the campaign. Uh, was uh, uh, We had just gotten out the Obama campaign. So the little experience I had off of George Mason University uh, rooting for President Obama 
um, led me to uh, deploy a debt campaign, and then I became advisor to the presidents. We worked on some of these projects that I aforementioned, and from that point on, the president decided to honor me, I think as a symbol also to the youth, hardworking youth, that we are the future of Africa. And uh, not only African youth, the youth all over the world, because we have open minds, we connect, we're connected via Facebook, we're connected via MySpace, um, we relate, we listen to the same music. The world is more connected at our uh, <laughs> uh, frame, you know, uh, our age. And uh, he nominated me, and uh, I discovered I was one of the youngest. Uh, I was, first of all, youngest uh, advisor. At the beginning, people made fun of me. They called me baby advisor. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you become chief of staff or chief of cabinet? Which I believe I did, is the president's grace. I cannot take credit for it. Um, I know that uh, people tell me I work really hard. Um, I'm motivated. I'm positive. I look you know, with an open mind on things. I'm always open to innovation. I think the president needed that. And it's the balance between the wisdom in Africa. We talk about the wisdom of our, of our parents and our ancestors, and as well as the, 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 dynam the, the dynamic component of youth. And I think it's that equilibrium that will make Africa to be what it expects to be. Great. Well, uh, Liban, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. It was a pleasure to chat with you, too. Thank you so much, and appreciate being here at uh, Knowledge at Wharton. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.